Thank you guys for that. You know, it was interesting. I was thinking about some of the things we were singing about this morning, about faith and increasing and wanting our faith to grow and taking it where it's without borders. And I begin to ask myself, is that what I really want? Do I really want that? To where my faith is, where it's grown because I have to place it in here. Where I have to be in that place where the storm is raging and God seems silent, but he wants us to remain. You know, it's, an, it's a nice little it's a Christian thing. And I begin to think about my own life. Is that something that I really want? And the truth is, I want, I want the increased faith without the, the trial that builds it. <laughs> right? I mean, who wants to go through that? That's, it's a tough thing. But, you know, I'm reminded of these guys that <clears throat> all through God's word that walked in faith and obedience. And sometimes things got worse when they did that. And so it's an interesting thing, and we know it's right, but it can be a rough road. And so thank you, Stephen, for challenging that, and I think that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Please turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 4. Now, I'm going to go back for some of us a ways, but as I look around, I think there's a shot that we might have 100% on this first one. How many of you remember Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom? Look at there. I have one person that has no clue. Now we used to, what was that, Saturday nights that came on? They used to come on and we would, uh, they would do all these stories on animals, but there was always, there was always one where a predator was stalking his prey. And they would creep through the grass real slow. We saw this just the other day with, with our own dog. She's, I think, part lion. Um, and she will catch birds and rabbits and, and she'll kill them. So we have to keep an eye on her. But our, our little Ruby was in outside and she had spotted a bird in the, in the grass. This was probably about two months ago. This was before Terry got hurt. And she was moving a leg at a time, creeping up on this bird. And then Terry's like, what is she doing? And she went out there and looked and she saw the bird. She scared the bird away to save the bird. And so it's very interesting. When, when a predator is, is stalking its prey, every bit of its attention is on that task and on that alone. It doesn't have any other things going Multitasking is not an option. It doesn't have a cell phone going on the side. It doesn't have, you know, uh, babies running around trying to nurse or trying to play or grabbing its ears. It is stalking its prey. And so today, last week we talked about knowing the rest of God. Today we're going to talk about pursuing it. We'll be talking about pursuing the rest of God. I'm not going to ask you this morning, but I'm going to throw out the question. How many of you could really use some rest from God? <laughs> and all of us said amen, right? Yeah, yeah. there we go. <laughs> and so 
we are going to begin to dive into that subject this morning as we start reading. And there are going to be some verses here that are familiar, that you guys have heard your whole life. But hopefully we'll get to see them in a different way, in, act, in actual context in which they're written. So we're going to be in verse, uh, verse 8, we're going to read through verse 16. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as... The division of the soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him whom we have to do. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray this morning that you'll speak to each and every one of us. Father, I pray that it will be a word from you. I pray that it will not be a word from me. Because I need to hear you as well. I pray and ask you to guide us. ask you to comfort us. ask you to challenge us. ask you ask that you'll help us to see the truth. And only the truth. I ask you to confront lies that we all believe. That we can tear down those strongholds the enemies built up. So the name of Jesus Christ can go forth. And Father, I ask you to search me that if I have any of those, that you'll tear those down brick by brick and help me to go willingly, not kicking and screaming, and to accept, no matter what you have, good or bad, what I would call good or bad. Thank you for your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Well, this morning as we talk about pursuing the rest of God, we're going we're gonna to look back first at his rest. We're going to go back a couple verses and pick that up. We're going to we're talk about seeking to enter his rest, and we're going to discover our confidence to do that. And so as we look back at God's rest, we, uh, we, he talks again here about Joshua. Now, isn't it interesting? I got thinking about this when I began thinking about this passage. And the similarities between our life today and what happened with Israel. Israel Israel was in captivity in Egypt. They were praying for deliverance. God delivered them through these plagues that all hit Egypt to the point that Pharaoh finally said, get out of here. They left. They praised God for their deliverance. They gave him all the glory. He has set them free and they got in the wilderness and they started to do what? 
a blank. So God was great and mighty because he did something for me over here. And now that I'm out here and I'm in this desert and he's not doing something for me, now I'm going to complain. And I got thinking actually about my own life and I thought, man, I do the same thing. <laughs> you know, God is mighty and look at these things he's done and, and I forget what God has done. I forget when I was in despair over here in Egypt and I needed God to deliver and he did. We forget as Christians all the things that God has done and all the deliverance and all the leading and all the compassion and all of the revelation and all of the conviction. We forget all of that and think that this is the only moment. Well, whatever you're going through today, this is not the only moment. This is part of a journey with the Lord. Whether you're mounting up with wings as eagles or whether you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. He is with you. The problem is. we have It's a lot easier to see him when we're up on wings, isn't it? Than when we're in the valley in the shadows. But that's where faith is built. Because we see the deliverance of God. And the truth is our prayers change when we're down there. If we pray at all, we, we're a lot more willing to give up, a lot more willing to surrender, which is the, really the end of this whole passage today. <clears throat> then when everything's going great. And the truth is, when things are going great, that's when we really need to be surrendered. <laughs> Not just when the pressure is applied. And he talks about Joshua. He says, if Joshua had given them rest... <laughs> He would not have spoke of another day. See, here's the bottom line. The law and working for God or doing things to be pleasing to God does not provide rest. Y'all all gave me the same look. <laughs> it doesn't provide rest. Self-effort you know, we talk about the Pharisees as being self-righteous and we look down on them, don't we, a little bit. But yet, we feel better about ourselves if we're going to go do something for God. And we feel better that we're a better Christian for doing that. Let me tell you something, that's self-righteousness. And so, with the same disdain that we looked at them, we ought to look at that. It's where God, when we come to the place of total surrender and we let God lead us and we say, whatever you have for me today, if you're leading me, I'll do it. It's the whole story of the gallon of milk that we talked about last week. Are you willing to do just that? That was God's will for him that day. It wasn't to go preach to millions. It wasn't to go share the gospel with somebody. That was the gospel in that situation, if you will. He was living out his faith. And sometimes living out our faith is these big things. Sometimes it's remaining steady and firm and quiet even though you're hurting. You say, I am not going to give up on you, God. Because I don't know about you, but I've been there and I've actually given up. 
And if you've ever been there, welcome to the crowd. There's a crowd of two in here. Because I don't know anybody else who's done that. I've been there. The law was never meant to provide rest. It was meant as a tutor to teach us that you can't do it. And so why do we teach that today as victory? Why do we teach failure as victory? (laughs) Because we don't know anything else. That's what's going on in Christianity today. The Christian environment doesn't know anything. We grow up in a country that teaches you to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, work harder, and you'll get ahead. And we apply that to God's word. And that's not how God works. God isn't dependent on our hard work. He wants a relationship. He doesn't want a bunch of slaves. He doesn't call you uh, and employ you. He calls you children. And he runs. And kills the fatted calf because you're his child. There's a rest available to God's people. And it's a rest like the one that God enjoyed on the seventh day. And I thought it was interesting the parallel that they have here. He said that you would have rest like God stopped his work, you would stop yours. There's a parallel. It doesn't mean you do nothing. That's what everybody's afraid of. That's why nobody will preach this. Because they're afraid that you'll stop serving. They're afraid that you're going to just fall out of love with Jesus, I guess. Or maybe they know their congregation and they're not in love with Jesus. You know what? I don't ever want to pastor a church who's not in love with Jesus. (laughs) Amen? Amen. We got it all wrong. It's not more effort that we need. Listen, if you're in need of this rest, I want, I've got some good news for you. It's available. It's available to you. When we, when we stop our work for him and let him work through us, we enter that rest. That's it. The rest is ceasing from self-effort to do the work of God. And so, as we move from looking back at it and what it is, he tells us that we should be seeking to enter it. He says, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest. So that tells me that we can actually go in and out of it, right? But he tells us to have diligence to do that. Doesn't that appeal to us a little bit as Americans have some diligence? All right, let's apply, let's get on this. Let's have some diligence to rest. You ever done that? You ever tried to sleep when you know you had a little gap of time but you weren't really tired? You ever done that? And you lay there and you're going, shh. I've done that. Why can't I fall asleep? Your mind is racing on a million things and you're like, be quiet, be quiet. And your mind just keeps going. Has that ever happened to anybody but me? (laughs) 
And you're like, I knew I shouldn't have had that red bowl before I laid down for the <laughs> Be diligent to enter that rest. Be diligent. Be diligent. Because here's the thing. The stuff you think you're in control of, God is going to strip away from you. He will strip it away. So that he can give you something greater. And it's going to hurt. Have you ever had your fingers pried open before? I have. That's not fun. Our diligence needs to be to die to ourselves and learn to live in the grace and life-giving power of God. That's what we apply diligence to. Let me learn how to go this way. Let me learn how to do this the way you decided, God. Let me learn what it means to abide. We have all heard that. And I think that for the most part, the Christian world today has no idea what that means or what the function is of abiding. Do you know a branch that abides is working? If it doesn't, it would fall off. But you know what it's working at? Growing into the vine. That's how it abides. That's all it has to do. And the fruit produces. It doesn't do nothing. It grows into the vine. We need to grow into Christ. We need to seek after Him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Here's the problem, though. If we don't learn how to do this, if we don't learn how to die to ourselves, we will naturally fall into the same disobedience as Israel experienced when they arrived at the Promised Land. They saw God's promises but failed to enter in because their confidence was in themselves and not the Lord. Pay attention. Your abilities cannot accomplish the will of God. Because even if they're successful, you've done it out of your own strength. And that's not the will of God. The will of God is for me to listen to what He says and do it each and every day. A living... That's the will of God for each one of us. Well, what's the will of God for my life? Jesus Christ. Alright, that's a nice church answer, but what am I supposed to do with my life? Jesus Christ. That doesn't help me at all, I know that. You ever ask somebody how to spell a word and they say, get the dictionary? You ever heard that as a kid? And like, if I knew how to spell it, I could get the dictionary. But I don't even know how to spell it. I can't get the dictionary and find out how to spell. And that's kind of where we are. We don't even know where to begin with them. But we don't even open it up and find out. You ever been in, you ever been in something where circumstances were so bad and it seemed like God was so quiet you wondered if he was even still there or even cared about you I've been there you could have sang that song about me Desperado I need a cowboy hat 
what we should do. We should wear cowboy hats when we're in that situation so we know we can be there for each other. Maybe little bitty ones. <laughs> Listen. They saw God's promises but failed to enter because their confidence was in themselves and not the Lord. We can, our abilities just aren't going to cut it, ladies and gentlemen. And then we arrive at one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. We hear this all the time. I'm going to read it to you. Verses 12 and 13 of Hebrews 4. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And piercing as far as the vision of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. And able to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. You ever heard that verse quoted? How many of you have ever heard that verse before? What does that have to do with this? What does that have to do with what we're talking about? About entering God's rest versus doing it on your own. We quote that so that people know that the word of God can cut through and see that God's word will give them the answers they need. That's how it's been quoted, but that's not the context. Context drives understanding, right? So let me tell you what's going on in these verses. And I want you to see how this plays out with exactly the context. See, you can't deceive God by your behavior. You can deceive each other. We can put on a good show as Christians, can't we? We put on the Christian show. I'm a Christian, you're a Christian. Yay, we're all good. We sing a song, we skip hands and go down the road and there ain't no God in it. Even First uh, Timothy or Second Timothy talks about those who have denied the power of God. They have a form of godliness, although they denied its power. They have no relationship with Him. We can put on a good show. Even Billy Graham said the biggest mission field we have in this country is 11 a.m. Sunday morning service. And I think he's right. And it's the most difficult because people are confident in themselves and they have no relationship with the Lord at all. Now, a measure of having a relationship with the Lord is not are good or bad things happening in your life. The enemy will tell you that. Well, you must not even be saved if all that's going to happen is God. He said he loves you. You have been there? <laughs> and then we derail. Watch how this works. This is really cool. His word is going to reveal if you're doing, if you're serving from your own resources or he is doing it through you. Let's take a look at it. Look at the items that it says God's word is able to separate. Soul and spirit. Down to the soul and spirit. Is that the same thing? 
We don't even know what he's talking about. The soul is our mind, will, and emotions. The spirit is the new life in us that God gave us. So when he's talking about these things, he's saying, are you relying on your own mind, on your own decisions, on your own intellect? Or are you relying on the spirit of God that he's given you within you? That's why the word of God is able to delineate that, whether it's us or him. Because if it's us, we are not in his rest. If it's him, it is his rest functioning in and through us. Let's move on. Talks about joints and marrow. What do our joints do? They help us move. Right? Without joints, we'd be... You know, sometimes we walk in here with no joints working that day. You know, I had some of that this week. But it's work. What happens in your marrow? That's where your blood is made, right? That's creation. That's where something is created out of nothing. That's where life is sustained. In a way. And so it's either work or sustainment, if you will. It's really interesting if you dive down into this where it goes. Then he thought, then he talks about thoughts and intentions. And there's a difference between a thought and intent, isn't there? Our thought or what we come up with. Our intentions are actually why we're doing it. You know, on Wednesday night, if you haven't been here on Wednesdays, you're missing out. Don asked a great question a couple weeks ago. I thought he had lost his mind. He said, how can we share the gospel in a selfish way? And I thought, that's not possible. I sat there quietly to myself and I thought that. But I decided this moment to reveal that. But then there was somebody else who was there and said, no. If we want them to be saved so our life is easier. Or we want, you know, if we're sharing Christ because it makes things easier or simpler or safer for us. Then that's a selfish motive. And I thought, oh my goodness, I didn't even see that. And so I learned something that night. See, the thought would be to share the gospel, but the reason. But my thought might be something evil, too. You know, I might be so sick of somebody that I'm planning something bad for them. Or I'm going to spread some kind of rumor, or I'm just going to stay out of the way and let that happen. Where I would normally protect them if I really liked them. That's where we get into some tough stuff. Where it gets sketchy for Christians. And so this verse has to be understood in context. That's Because that's what it really means. Is what God, 
What did you? Okay, let's go back. Let's go back to Bible study 101. You have observation, interpretation, application. Observation is just gaining the facts. What is there? What is in the book? What is the context? There's the immediate context, the book context, the writer context, the testament context, and the whole Bible context. Those are all contexts for each and every verse. Then there's interpretation. What does something mean? How many of you have heard there's many interpretations? Have you ever heard that? You all realize that's not true? If I write, let's assume I wrote Terry a love letter. (laughs) Does that mean whatever you think it means or does it mean what I meant when I wrote it to her? It means what I meant when I wrote it. That's the only thing it means. There is only one interpretation. Now, there's many applications. And people will use applications and bring it back here to interpretation. So when we're taking these verses, there is only one interpretation. God has written his word to us so we can understand whether we are relying on ourselves or we are walking with him. That's what this is talking about. And if you ever need to know the answer to that question, look into his word. Well, where do I start? I'll tell you where I... I teach my students to start. You start with your concordance. You think about what's going on. And I used to teach them. I said, share with me what's going on that you might want to look into God's word. What do you think are some of the key words from your circumstance? Start looking up passages that have to do with that. And it begins to reveal what God might be speaking to you about or what might be happening. And I actually did that. And one girl was like, hey, I looked this up and I found this word love because I didn't think this girl loved me. And I realized... When I read it, she began to go this whole story, how she shared with that girl what she found because of what was happening, and it created this God conversation. Mm-hmm. That's how it works. And so that's why, that's what those verses mean. So when you hear somebody quote it, ask yourself, am I resting in the Lord or am I resting in myself? Because there ain't no rest in ourselves. <laughs> There's more and more work. See, the, the, here's the deal. You can't hide. It's impossible to deceive him. He knows what you're doing and why you're doing it. He knows. He knows what I'm doing and he knows why I'm doing it. Did you know people can deceive themselves too? Talk yourself into something to make it seem godly when it's really rooted in something else? When it's really just all about me because I want my life to be easier or I want my situation to be better or I want this obstacle removed and so I'm going to do it in a godly way? Be careful. Well... We're to be seeking after what we're to be seeking after living in that. Be, he tells us to be diligent in it, diligently seeking that. But there's also we need to find our confidence to enter the rest, because some of us are afraid. Some of us are like, 
you know what? Some of you have been through some tough things. And it seems like even though you, you mentally knew God was there. You said to yourself, if this is what God's about, I don't want anything to do with him. I don't know about you, but I've been there too. <laughs> it's awful. And I was praying for deliverance and the storm was sent to deliver me from something I didn't know about. And I look back and I can see it now, but I didn't see it then. We like, we like, oh, we love to hear those stories. But we hate to go through it to get the story. And I don't think that's wrong. It's not wrong to hate to. Nobody wants to go through hard things. Do you have any volunteers this morning that said, Lord, send some tough stuff my way? Anybody? Because I will pray for you. That God would answer your prayers this morning. <laughs> How many here has ever been through something difficult in your life? Man, every hand went up. For those who could raise their hand. There, some of y'all's difficulty may not be able to raise your hand this morning. <laughs> I've been there too. That's always fun. So our confidence in the rest is found in these next verses, verses 14 through 16. The writer here lays down his argument of why we should have confidence to enter the rest of God by focusing on Jesus Christ. He tells us that he is our high priest who is in heaven. It's easy to just gloss right by that, right? Do y'all remember what the high priest, their job was? They were to intercede on behalf of the people. So our, pre, our high priest doesn't sit in thrones or, or temples made by men. Our high priest is in the throne room of God interceding for us. And you might be going, man, he needs to do a better job. <laughs> And sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? When you're in those moments of despair and darkness and black clouds. and I was, I, If I could have been a Peanuts character, I would have been the one that got rained on all the time. I would have written a new Peanuts character. But it seemed like that at times, right? He is there with the Father interceding with your name. He goes on and he says he sympathizes with our weaknesses. Guys, he gets it. I think, actually, I think he probably gets it better than we get it. Because what I've found is when you have something and it's gone, it seems like a greater loss, doesn't it, than if you've never had it. He walked out of heaven. And then faced all the struggles. So it was actually compounded, I think, for him. And so because he's advocating, you know, I want somebody, I, Terry had physical therapy this week, her first one, so y'all pray for her. I think uh, physical therapy is licensed torture, but that's, you know, 
And all of you been to PT said, <laughs> So now her, her leg's all swollen up again because she's starting to move it and all that. And going through that anguish again. But the person she had, she was pretty young. And I sat there and I asked her, I said, have you ever had this, an injury like this? And I was kind of waiting for her to say no, because she seemed kind of young to me. Because I don't want somebody twisting and pulling and bending my knee who hadn't had to do it. Right? And she goes, oh yeah, when I was a little girl, I broke both these bones. And this girl ended up being a college gymnast in competition after. So we saw the before, the middle, and the after in this therapist. And she was young. And when I heard that, I was like, my confidence changed. Because I knew she'd been through it. That's what he's doing here. He's reminding us that Jesus came and has been through it. And we can release a little bit of that angst upon him. When he says, man, I've got you. I'm interceding for you. I get, I feel it. I know it. The last thing he tells us about Christ here is that he was tempted in all things as are we, yet without sin. See, he faced it too and he overcame. He knows how to overcome. You know, if I want to lose 100 pounds, who do I talk to? Somebody who's lost 100 pounds, right? Or people who have lost weight. There's people here who I, I admire their dedication. And I've watched... At least a couple of you completely change. Because that seems that's a hard thing, isn't it? Those of us who've tried it. Weight watchers, Scarsdale, no sugar, no fat. You know, they don't even talk about Scarsdale anymore? No. Like, who's that? How many of y'all know what I'm talking about, though? Thank you. It's all Nutrisystem now. Keto. Yeah. Keto. Keto's another one, but that's working. And so he says that he faced it, too. Because, you know, in the middle of this, there's a temptation to sin. And you know, when we're down, when things aren't working right, or we're at our limit, the enemy will come in and try to tempt us to give up, to quit, to go another path. If you feel like that's where you are, tell God that. He can handle it. I tell people, if you're angry at God, tell him you're angry with him. If you feel like you hate him, tell him you hate him. Be honest with God because He can handle it. Some of you might be sitting there going, How could you ever hate God? It depends what you've been through, it depends where you lay the blame. And so, because of Jesus, He tells us to do this to hold fast to your confession. What was our confession? What's he talking about? Hold fast to your confession. We confessed him as Lord of our life. Right? When we come into salvation, we confess that we can't do it ourselves. 
We put our faith and trust in you. And he saves us. That has been the way of salvation from time began. He said, hold fast to that. Hold fast to the idea you can't do it yourself. Hold fast to the idea that your confidence is in him. Even when he's not doing things like you like. Even when the world is crashing down around you. Even when it seems like there's no hope. There's hope, ladies and gentlemen. I promise you there's hope. God can make a way where there is no way. I've seen that a million times. I've seen checks come in the mail that were not due me when I needed them because we listened. Now, do not go out of here with a prescription of saying, if I listen to God, I'm going to need a check in the mail. You know what? If God never sent that, we still should have listened. No matter what. I knew at school, this is a true story, by the way. The beauty of having Terry work at the school and, and the school I went to being so small is we were friends with a lot of the, the folks who led the school. And there was, a, there was another school in the area that was a good school. And they were, they were having a board meeting of whether or not they should close. And the trustees were there and they didn't know what to do. And they said, and one of them, maybe we should pray about it. Godly men. And so he, they go, well, maybe you should pray about it. <laughs> and he said, let's pray. And he prayed. And he said, God, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. I, I pray that you'll sell some and send us some money. And this is a true story. They finished their meeting and went out. And the, sec- the secretary receptionist person out there said, this came for you. It was from a rancher who said, God impressed on me to sell some cattle and send you the money. And that had happened before he prayed that. God is in control, ladies and gentlemen. If he never sent the money. God is in control. He created this whole thing. We're not, we're not grasping for crumbs from the father's table. We have seats at the table. He doesn't eke out to, he doesn't want you to just barely survive. He wants you to thrive in him. He will not let you survive when you are outside trusting yourself. That's exactly (laughs) what we call him the prodigal son. The whole story is about the one son. Both sons had the same problem. They thought their behavior changed how the father loved them. Well, you should have this for me because I've been here. I've been faithful the whole time. No, it's yours because you're my son. Not because you've been faithful. Why are you killing the fatty calf for him? Because he's my son and he's returned. It's not about behavior. We are not accepted or rejected based upon behavior. We are accepted or rejected based upon 
the fact that we are in Christ and He is in us. And there is no other way to the Father except through Him. And if I will cling and seek Him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength as a branch, His life fills me. Instead of seeking what He can do for me, And back to the intent part. And so hold fast. He tells us to draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. See, our advocate is there. We're to draw near. We're not to say, hey man, I'll call you when I need you. I'll call you when I get in trouble. Maybe, if that's the only time we call him, maybe that's why we have so much trouble. Because if that's what it takes to have a relationship with you, and that's all he really wants. Because nothing else in this world matters, does it? When the sorrow goes away, there's going to be one question asked of all mankind. What did you do with my son? You're not going to ask how many times you prayed or how much you put in the offering plate. <clears throat> Did you attend Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night? What did you do with my son? Why were you so afraid of me? Why didn't you trust me when things looked darkest? Where to draw near? Where to draw near? We're to have confidence in the rest. Because of Jesus, we, re- we can receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Let me tell you this. Grace and mercy may not look like grace and mercy to you. Let me ask you something. If I were to scold one of your children because I caught them playing in the center of Rolaine. Or a hottie lane. Is that grace and mercy? (coughs) It's for their good, right? I'm trying to keep them safe. I'm trying to not let them get something that would hurt them worse. But the action of scolding them might create a little problem between you and me. Maybe? No? Alright, what about your grandchildren? Uh oh, now you cross the line! But that's grace and mercy. Because I know something that child doesn't. And so when God sends his grace and mercy, it may not look like you think, it may not be a flower pot. Or a box of chocolates. Or a check in the mail. It might be a spank on the bottom. Or a pat on the back of the head. Remember that was in the... Don't get no ideas. (laughs) That was in the movie Prancer. You remember that movie? Anybody remember that movie? That's an old movie. That didn't make it into the classics. Like White Christmas and 
It's a Wonderful Life. You know, It's a Wonderful Life almost never got made. It's an interesting story, too. And so it may not look like we think. Because of Jesus, we can have confidence in the rest of the world. It is okay. The water's safe. And here's the thing. Here's the way I look at it. If I walk out on the water and sink into the water, underwater, he can give me the ability to breathe water. Stop making definitions for him. I can breathe in and out water and be okay. It is more oxygen than it is hydrogen. Wait a minute. It has oxygen in it. Yes, it does. <laughs> the science teacher is sitting on. Yeah, two oxygen, right? No, two hydrogen and one oxygen. Two O. Two oxygen. H2O. Two hydrogen. It has oxygen in it. Right. Thank you. Truth matters. It is two hydrogen and one oxygen. And that makes it even more of a miracle because there's less of what I need and God can still do it. How's that for rescuing that illustration? All right. So if we're going to pursue the rest of God, there's some things we have to realize. One, the Christian walk doesn't have to be difficult or exhausting. The Christian walk isn't results-oriented. It is Christ-centered, followed by obedience and joy. The Christian walk isn't, wow, we had this great event and all these people came and all that. The Christian walk is, did we do what God asked us to do, regardless of how it turned out? It's Christ-centered. Two, our diligence does not need to be spent working or trying harder. Our diligence needs to be spent in dying to ourselves and responding to his leading with obedience. Spend your effort dying to yourselves. Well, how do I do that? Do I just hold my breath or do I? No. What it means is the effort and time you spend on trying to figure out all these other things. Take time and with the Holy Spirit's help, take a look at why you're doing the things you do. Take a look at what it means to hear the voice of God. And say, and you know what? I'm going to challenge you. I've sat there and I hated when preachers would say this. Because I'd sit where you're sitting and i go, man, I've never heard his voice. Don't raise your hand, but if you're identifying with that, I get you. But I'll tell you this. If you tell him, if you show me, I'll do it. And you, and you actually follow through and he shows you, you, have to, you better do it. <laughs> he will speak to you. You know how I got back in church? I don't even think they know this. <laughs> So you guys are dismissed. <laughs> um, I prayed. I said, Lord, if you'll open a door for me, I'll go through it. And I went to church on a Sunday night. And this precious woman came by. And I was, honestly, I was looking for a girlfriend at the time. I hadn't met Terry yet. And she comes to me 
and says, hey, you look like you're in college age. And I said, I am. And I was sitting there away from nobody. I was trying to look inconspicuous, so I sat alone. And she goes, you look like you're college age. We're, we're our college of careers having a dating seminar. We'd love for you to come. And she hands me this, holds this flyer out. And, the, and I heard in my spirit, I said, in the, from the Lord, here's your door. And I went through it. And I never looked back. That's how it happens. She could have invited me to a volleyball thing. She could invite, but it was the very thing that I was kind of struggling with at that moment. God knows, folks. He knows. He sees. That's he's touched by it. And if you're willing to obey him, he'll do it. And you might be, you might be saying, "Man, I've been willing, and it's still tough." I know that. I know that. I get that. I've walked that every day. You're not alone. Finally. Your honest view of Jesus will will determine your willingness to draw near to him. How do you really view him? Do you view him as safe and comforting? Do you view him as unsafe and dangerous and costly or mean and angry? Full of wrath. How you view him will determine your desire and your ability to warm up to him. You know, we like the people who are nice and kind and kind of take care of us and kind of oversee things for us and will stand up on our behalf, don't we? But if somebody's mean and nasty and they seem like they're looking to to pick on us or, or... Belittle us. We don't really like them much, do we? We don't cuddle up to them. We change jobs. Or we just quit altogether. How you view him will determine your desire to be close to him. And so we need to get an honest view of who he is. The question is this, and it's more than mental sense. Well, we know he's loving. I would, we would all say he's loving, that he's God. It's more than mental assent. It's more than. Because God doesn't judge from mental assent. He judges from your heart. And so are you convinced that he is who he says he is? But what I see, so you're going to make a determinant about who he is based upon how you would do things. So really what we've done is make ourselves out to be God. To reject who he actually is. And so now he gets a label. Because it ain't the way I would do it. Be careful. Be careful. That you don't fall into that trap. How many of you here have ever seen a demolition derby? You seen one? How many of you have ever actually been to one? Oh man. How cool is that? Do they even do it anymore? We need to find one. We'll go to church. That will be a church activity. We'll come here and eat watermelon and go to the demolition derby. <laughs> Woo! Do the wave. <laughs> well, at a demolition derby, I mean, the goal is kind of to smash each other's car up so that they can no longer run, right? But on the side of the cars, they have a surrender stick. And if you're like too woozy from being smashed around, or if your car is just. <laughs> 
That's a Hebrew word for means it will not go. For my Spanish-speaking friends, it's a Nova. That's why they, Chevy was afraid the Nova wouldn't sell in South America because it was, does not go. <laughs> That's a true story. But if it won't go anymore, you go and you break this, this, this surrender stick. And that means, well, there was this one demolition derby I was reading about. And the guy's car died. And so he broke his stick so they wouldn't hit him. Well, they didn't see it. The other drivers didn't see it. And they smashed into his car. He got out. He's waving his hands. He picked up the stick. Showing everybody that his stick is broke. Because it means I'm out. But here's the beauty of this. What does that story have to do with this? We also have a surrender stick. But it doesn't take us out of the game. It puts us in it. It's the reverse. When we finally surrender, we're then into the game. And until then, God will work to help us to get to that point. And you know what your surrender stick is? You know what the name on it is? It's written right on there. Brokenness. And it stinks. And I've had to wave the flag. And that's how I know it sticks. And so if you're waving that flag now, feel like you're about to break that stick yourself, I want you to know there's hope. There's hope. Come talk to me. Go talk to the Lord. He said, I've done that, but he don't talk back. Okay, I understand that too. I get it. I've been in that one-sided conversation also. I've been, I know exactly where you are. But that's the key to this whole thing. It's so funny that the, when we're on the verge of victory, it feels like the verge of defeat. <laughs> so I'm going to ask everybody to bow their head and close their eyes this morning.